Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. In October of last year, I woke up in the middle of the night, which was not that unusual for me, but I got out my, I went to my prayer closet and I got my little phone out and I sang the words of the song that is going to be the song of the year. And we have entitled it Sweep Me Away. And um, they were singing it earlier, but we will sing it some, maybe if we have time today, we'll sing it at the end. But the part of that song is that I want to get lost in your love. And I think that that is the theme of this word this year. If you can uh, let it arrest your heart that everything I speak, it comes from a place of how much that he loves you. And everything that he has done in me is because that I want to leave a legacy of how good he is on the earth. The reason why I started One Life in the version that you now experience is because I feel like that he had a bad name. And I've never found him to be a judgmental, mad God. He's always been wooing me with the heart of a lover. And if I died today, I would want you to remember me as that I've tasted and I've seen of a love that's better than anything. And so all the words that come out of my mouth, I hope that some of you who don't know that about me know that about me going forward is that I will love intensely and that I will love forever. No matter who comes and goes, I will always keep my love on. But there has been so much um, leading up to this. I believe that in September was the first time that Christy received what is a portion of what she's going to say today. <clears throat> but let me just preface it by saying that that today is just a day of of um, we're going we're let me say it like this we're going to expand and expound throughout the year. But there's just a moment in time because I know how he is so well that it's just got to be said. And that's just today. I've been um, loving the experience of timing over the last six months. And, you know, sometimes I think we forget how incredible and strategic God is at timing. And um, let me just give you a couple. I'm going to be including these in the Evernote portion of the word for today. But Chris Valentin sent out a word this week about creativity. And that is, I have a little slide, I think, that that is what we're going to be talking about um, today. And the title of the word today, oh, that sounds like the air conditioner. Oh, isn't that, don't you love this, that it knows what we need? It knows whether we need air. I don't even have to tell it. We, it must be 71 degrees in here. Um, anyway, the title of the word of the year is this amazing graphic that Tessa created, and it's called Created to Create, Fulfilling Divine Destiny, Design, Divine Design, sorry. It could be destiny too, right? But don't you love that? Yeah. 
Um, but Chris Valentin made this statement. It's a long word, but I just wanted to read you a couple snippets. He said, I propose that the world has never been in greater need of wholehearted artists living out their purpose-filled passions, crafting performances through the prophetic and changing culture in collaboration with the master creator. The truth is not all prophets look the same. The Lord is not limited to a mold of movement or talent template. Rather, he is the director of the greatest dynamic and transformative story of all time. The challenge is so often that the entertainment industry, that people can become consumed in their expertise and experience, and that they end up disregarding their royal identity as sons and daughters of God. Listen to this line. The result is that these creative artists end up performing for identity rather than from identity. So just to help you that within the vision of this house, I can tell whether you're performing for identity. That's my job. And your job is when I tell you that you're performing for identity, that you change. And that, t that when I tell you that, that tells you that you don't know who you are. And so you have to change. Because he's never going to anoint something that you're trying to get from him to be somebody. He only anoints what's already been sacrificed, what's already been laid down. And so it's just good to remember that going forward because the word this year is extremely challenging to my heart that we can't be the same. Going forward, God's blessed us with something to feel. And that's part of your job is to figure out how to fill it with what I want to tell you today. Okay. Dan McCollum sent out a word just this morning and he said, everyone is creative because every person is made in the image of the creator. This is just regurgitated from what I want to tell you today. It stands to reason that each is a, each of us is creative. Now see, here's the hang up with the word creative from my generation is my generation said, well, we have to eat, but you have to understand God is creative. And so it's actually how you pro solve problems. And so what we get hung up in is how am I going to paint that or color that or, you know, creativity has been reduced down to a very simplistic definition and it is not God's. Because God hovered over chaos and he created. So wherever you have chaos, that's the moment to create. Dan McCollum also said is that the creative block is a deception. When we don't, we don't have to wait for a creative mood or a creative gift, or a creative feeling. We can access creativity. We can access creativity. We can access creativity through our original design as those that were fashioned in the image of cr the Creator. And the last thing I want to say from Dan was creative flow exists through divine design, often unconscious, and increases through divine union conscious or practiced anyway 
So I'm going to pass out these packets that the girls helped me with last night. And um, you would think I would have done them back in December, but no, we did them last night till 10 o'clock at night. So um, Aaron and uh, Phil, y'all want to pass these out. I would ask you to not read ahead and um, stay with us on the page. And we have some additional creative tools inside your your little packet you have the encounter room brochure and some encounter room cards and some one life stickers that you can stick on whatever you want to stick it on and we have some extras up here so and we'll be getting some more so i think it's a i, I just told him i said well we can't very well have the word of the year if we don't have something creative right when it's about creativity Anyway, that's too much coolness for me. Agreed? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on her, instructing her about our needs. Okay. The B, that's what it's called. The thermostat. Her name is B. So I wanted to start out today with a statement that you see there at the beginning of your first page, and it says, Jesus, a man, walked on water. Will you, with your humanity, walk on water too? I'm not going to talk about it today, but you know, think about it for a minute that part of what our job is is to see the ability to do on earth what Jesus did. We're really we're really blocked sometimes in seeing ourselves like Jesus saw himself. Wouldn't that be a great prayer for yourself this year, is to see yourself like Jesus saw himself? Just a son, daughter, walking on the earth, filling it with the knowledge of how I know the Father. And I, and I reduce my life down to I will only do what the Father, what I see the Father doing. That's what's rewardable anyway. Everything else, listen to me, everything else, like I said Wednesday, is dung. It's poop. Everything else is reduced down to just that I will do what I see the Father doing. And so our little mission this year, Created to Create, is my life's imagination is committing, committed to serving the one. That's easy, right? Have you noticed your life transforming into the things you used to do, the ways you used to do it? They're not quite as satisfactory. It's weird. Even, even those of us who have known God our whole lives, we are realizing, wow, we, we were doing things for God that were really for us. That's such a weird discovery, isn't it? I have so much, so much thoughts in my head. Let's turn to James 3. You don't have to turn there, but um, I wanted to talk about these three attributes of wisdom. Why do we need wisdom with our creativity? I personally believe that whenever it says in Genesis that God hovered over the chaos, I believe that he knew what he wanted to make, the end result. He knew the end result before he spoke, right? So that means he had an idea in his head. Have you ever had an idea in your head? Have you ever had ideas in your head and they just run you ragged like all over the place? 
right? You never see anything fulfilled, you know. Part of the part of our job is to realize that wisdom is the um, guarantee of success. You know, I would I would pray that you would study out James three, but the whole chapter. But let me read it in a different version. It says, "Who in your community is understanding and wise?" Let his example, which is marked by wisdom and gentleness, blaze a trail for others. That's what God's wanting you to do. You're the trailblazer. So you're either trailblazing with a bunch of crazy, random, chaotic ideas. Because everything's chaos. God's looking for a bunch of God people to hover over the bajillion items of chaos available to transformation don't be shocked you keep running into chaos that shouldn't shock us we should anticipate chaos for the level of maturity i am now in to speak over it with what just some random thing that makes you more comfortable with wisdom and i love this um it says Just let me read this in verse 14. If your heart is one that bleeds dark streams of jealousy and selfishness, don't you love it that that's the first thing he has to go over? He has to say, are you seriously comparing yourself to someone else in the room? Like, why? Because they're part of the team. I mean, I've played on all kinds of teams. Weirdly, I was the best player on every team I've ever been on. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a braggart, because I'm not. But it was weird. I didn't know it. I didn't know it till years later. But I remember, the, I've told this story before, I remember the first time when I was in ninth grade and our little school, you know, was the biggest school in the state of Oklahoma. So we had 2,700 kids in two grades, 11th and 12th. There was 2,700 kids. I graduated with over 1,000 kids in my grade. So in the ninth grade, I went to a school that was ninth and 10th. And so when you played in sports, you just played in that little group, the ninth and 10th. They made up a whole new system of teams just because we had such big schools then. And so in the ninth grade, the coach of the high school team, when he came to me and said, you're not going to play it sounded so good. You're not going to play on that 10th grade team next year. You're going to move. I'm going to come get you. The principal of the school is going to come get you every day and drive you to basketball practice. I thought that sounded so cool in my ninth grade brain. But in my 10th grade year, when I went to school with everybody, but then I got, I got in the, president's car got drove to the high school i experienced jealousy at a level that i did not understand and i remember i was sitting at the lunchroom crying to my mom who worked at the student store eating my hostess cherry pie and my barbecue beef sandwich that i had every day and she said you can do it. Go play and play good. 
because that's what God wants you to do. But none of my little 10th grade friends were cheering me on. Now, see, fast forward to my senior year, I'm back with those 10th grade friends, and we're still not friends. So my senior year, I would go to school for two and a half hours. I would go home for two and a half hours, and I'd come back and play basketball for two and a half hours, and that was my life. And so jealousy made me not jealous. When you've experienced jealousy, you don't want to give it away. It taught me to love even more than this. Because I don't want anybody to feel like I felt. Now, I don't know what your pathway out of jealousy is. But you're going to have to get the pathway out of jealousy. Because we're all on the same team. And I love this. It says, do not be so proud that you ignore your depraved state. Jealousy is a depraved state up here. The world, the wisdom of this world should never be mistaken for heavenly wisdom. So that's good enough for that. That's just James 3 is a good chapter for y'all to study this year, okay? Promise? Three attributes of wisdom, creativity. Here's my definition. Creativity is a phenomenon where something new and valuable is formed. (laughs) Listen, everything that God intends to be created on the planet hasn't been created yet. You know, this thing that we just did this morning at 930 up here, this little thing where I had to shut it down and say we've got to go That wasn't a thing when I was in church. I didn't create that out of an experience I had. I heard something. I heard a sound in my head. And I just kept tweaking and adjusting and inviting all kinds of people. I've tried. I've had all kinds of people try out with me to do this. But see, it was only the ones that got really low that could do it. Because see, the avenue of hearing it is down low. So they created creativity out of something that they hadn't heard. I can promise you, Shudi never heard improv prophetic worship in her live long days when she came and fell out on the couch at 172 in hysterical laughter. She was a zit pitted little girl's face that was so stressed out and anxious and uptight and just wanted to cut her hair the first thing. I got to get this weight off of me first thing. It's a phenomenon that what happens to us when we encounter his presence. We want to strip bare. And we just want to say, create, really? You can create anything through that kind of heart. That's what God's looking for. That's why it has to be stripped down. That's why it has to, you know, we went and watched that new Kurt Warner film. I don't ever recommend movies, but it was the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And it is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. He ha- he was not, rest- what he said to the coach, I was not ready, but I am now. That's what you can tell God. When you get all stripped down naked, you can say, I wasn't ready. I was still out trying to be something. But now I'm ready. Number 
two on our attributes of wisdom is excellence. This is a big deal for me. This is a big deal for me. Listen, this is a big deal for me. Don't try to make me not want excellence by you not paying attention. So if you come in and you serve here, you better be bringing excellence. You better be thinking outside of here what you can do to make it better. That's what. That's the first stage of excellence is this is okay, but how can we make it better? And always be thinking that. I mean, if you think we just threw that little packet together in five seconds, you know, if you think Tessa just threw that little drawing together, you're wrong. It takes time to be excellent. I feel excellent about our little $1.49 yellow notebook today. But it's just the beginning. This is, we're going to make books. So we're practicing on a level that we are right now. Are you with me at all? So it's doing things God's way. Now, the best story, if you've never read Daniel's story recently, see, when you, every time that you get a little healing, you need to go back and look at some of these stories because, you know, they, they're not the Sunday school stories we heard. But listen to this story of Daniel. Let me tell it to you really quick. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was the guy that God was trying to humble to lead. And, you know, he went and he didn't get humbled, remember? And he ended up walking around like an animal. Remember that? Well, fast forward years later and Daniel 5 is one of his relatives that has taken over. And, of course, again, the king has lost his way. But while he has taken the articles of worship from the tabernacle and decided to have a party with them in the palace with all of his wine and drunkenness. Reminds me of Cece's neighbors last night. Anyway, <laughs> there was a hand that began to write on the wall and it just wrote three words. And the king who didn't follow you know, after what Nebuchadnezzar did, he got, became scared. And it was his mother, I think it was, that said, hey, there's a dude. This is what she said about him. Let me just read you the one line. It's really, really quick. She said, <clears throat> there is a man in your kingdom who is full of divine, of the divine Holy Spirit. And during your father's time, he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom. This is decades later. Daniel is still alive, and he still has the reputation. And so what do they do? They call him in. Now, it wasn't good news, those three words. And the thing that Daniel prophesied to the king happened. He, he was dead by the end of the day. But... Daniel's reputation preceded him. And when you choose wisdom, that's what will happen with your reputation. The excellence of God communicates that God is the greatest being inside and out of our universe. He is the reason everything exists and why everything has purpose and significance. That's excellence. Think about God represented himself. How does he want to represent himself? 
this is his word. I know how he speaks. I know how all this came together. You don't know all that. My job is to deliver it. Your job is to search it out. And so the third attribute of wisdom is integrity, and it's the state of being whole and undivided. That's what integrity is. You know, it's it's interesting. I was watching this little TV program that Lynn watches a lot, and um, in, in the TV program, this girl had worked in this uh, firm, and she had got a offer to work someplace else. So she left this firm that she had started, because she wanted her name on the door, even though the owner, his name wasn't on the door either. It was just called another name. But when she left, the person she worked for chose to do something that wasn't at the level of integrity she had experienced at the firm she worked at. And she went running back to the firm. Because, see, she didn't know about integrity till there came a test. It's in the moment of a test, in the moment of a challenge, that you know where someone stands. And why are these so important? These are so important for us to have on the inside. It's so important that whoever you're with knows what you would do when no one's watching. Like, they have the confidence in you. They have the confidence you would do right, right? The third thing that God told me was that it was time to invest and develop creativity labs. Now, that can look a lot of different ways to a lot of different people, as it should. You know, I've already had some conversations with some people who are ready to take on more responsibility in creating. It's really instructing people under the housing of you know like if if like Lynn's really good financially and you know Pam and I are really good at business entrepreneurship and so but see whenever you know we're good at finding dogs too you know we're just good <laughs> there's just some stuff we're good at you know a couple of people in here got new puppies because of us because of why they sought wisdom. Otherwise, they'd have ended up with a hellion from Tulsa. Right? So, you know, wisdom causes us to seek out a matter in advance because we want it to be successful. Independence says, I'll just learn from experience. Now, see, let me just help you. I don't have time to learn from experience. I have to learn from wisdom, and wisdom is from above. And so I have to ask. You just depend on which road you want to go on. You know, you can go on the experience road if you want, but, and you know what I'm saying, right? But the more wisdom, like if someone wants to do something great financially, I love Lynn's, Lynn's walk with them through even making a budget, you know, helps them gain success through the avenue of their own participation as opposed to someone just giving them a handout. And that's really what this, this generation is going to need. Why couldn't they get anybody to go back to work? Because they were used to a handout. How many know what I'm talking about? And so now it's time to what? It's time to actually create 
the avenue to instruct through, I have all kinds of dreams in this area, okay? So let's just real quick, cultivating the divine design to create in others, stirring up and training the creative process in the body of Christ, and exploring and extending the reach of our own creativity to exponentially expand creative activity within the body of Christ. So it's really a fun time around here. And um, I just really want to encourage you that we're going to, this word is expanding constantly because God's confirming it constantly through other sources. And so try to keep your ears on today, you know, and, and really listen because what Chrissy is coming to share is really going to expand our ability to think different. And, you know, I, Shudi was the only one that actually read it in advance. And I, I think it's, a, it's going to be mind blowing. I think the way that God speaks to Cece, I just want to honor today. That is quite a journey for her. And it's not, she's not sitting at home going, man, this is the most awesome thing ever. I mean, like, I'm cool. Like I got it going on people. I mean, like I'm going to get up there and people are just, it's not that kind of experience for her. And so I just want to pray over her as she comes to just release the 99. So Papa, I just thank you for how you speak to your little girl. And I say that we are honored to know her and honored to be blessed by her words. And so I just anoint her right now with your Holy Spirit to speak this word of life over us in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Tisa. Thank you, everybody. Created to create. That gets our juices flowing, doesn't it? I would bet that everybody has something come to mind when you hear that, what that would look like, what that means. And uh, I think one of the first things that we learn, and when we came to this tribe especially, but probably on your journey um, with Papa, is how do we create that we were made to create and what's the thing we learned that we create with our words words, right we create with our words well that is absolutely true but i had this interesting journey this thing stand out to me several months ago that highlighted a slightly different emphasis that a step we were skipping over before the words and it's really really it, it has been blowing my mind. And I've been on this journey of uncovering what all Papa wanted to say to us. And I'm going to share that with you today and talk about the sanctified imagination. So first, put your hands on your head and say, Papa, expand my mind today. Holy Spirit, expand my mind. Break off every restriction I want to fully hear and be set on fire by your message today. Amen. So created to create. Um, back in, oh gosh, I don't know, mid-2021, I was reading a book by Robin Bullock. And the purpose of my reading the book and his purpose in writing the book was something different than this. But on my way, just kind of introducing myself to the book, um, 
several things that he said just jumped out at me, and I didn't even understand why. But one of the things he said was that God speaks in a language of pictures, not words. And so I was like, well, why are you saying that? Like, what's, what's the big deal? And I feel like it's been continuing to play out for why he was highlighting that to me, like why that stood out to me. And so he uses this example that if you, if I say the word dog, that you have a picture of a dog in your mind right now, right? Right. You have a picture. If I say, um, oh, it's a white dog. The picture just changed to a white dog, right? And so there's a connection that we've probably taken for granted between the picture and the words. That's why if somebody uses a word that you've never heard before, you can't even process or what they're saying because you can't picture it. You have no reference for it. So you're kind of lost because if they, you know, you don't, you can't picture it. So there's a connection between what we picture and our words. So just hold on to that for a minute. Um, so as I was reading in this book, it was talking about how God, the, the creation story. And I was just overwhelmed in this experience I had with him about that, that he highlighted that how God imagined us before he made us. You know, that this loving, passion-filled, the pure essence of love was sitting in heaven and thinking, I want to make someone in my image. I want to have somebody that's just like me that I can be in relationship with. And just like me, I want them to look like me. I want them to think like me. Like, he thought about this. He really pondered on it. He had a desire within him that he imagined, he dreamed of, he, he felt it, he pictured it before he ever created it. And it was really overwhelming to me that he would think that way about us, right? That he, he spent time, and we've all longed for something before, but the idea of him longing for, some, for us and, his, and that process of what he did before he ever said the word, before he ever set his plan in motion, and so I'm going to read an excerpt of what I wrote. This was back in September. I said, Papa, you highlighted for me yesterday the power and purpose and place of our imagination in this life. Wow. What power you imagined us within yourself based on your desire. And when you had fully pictured us, you stepped forward to create us, your family when you had fully pictured us. I realized that the enemy has tried to pervert this with fear, causing me to consider fear and imagine fearful outcomes as though it was wisdom and a way to protect and prevent bad things from happening. He flipped your design completely upside down. My imagination was, was meant to be used to imagine the good that you want to bring into this world, not the bad that I need to prevent. Just like you did, I can and I will imagine what you've placed as a desire within me. Then I will step forward and create with my words. Then I will step forward and create with my words. By speaking and declaring with you, what you have told me you want to do. 
It's the way you created this world we live in, and it's the way you intend for us to bring heaven to earth, to restore your original design for this world. So what this did for me was propose a few things that we have been talking about how important our words are, and we've heard lots of messages on that, and it's stressed, and we're always trying to improve on watching what we say, right? But what kind of attention are we paying to what we imagine? Be your imagination, your thoughts, what you're thinking on before you ever say anything is actually the first step in the creative process. That's why this, this behavior modification thing that we often try to do doesn't really work because we're thinking all sorts of things and we just change what we say to fit the appropriate narrative. But we aren't changing what we're thinking or what we're imagining. And so I want to propose to you that what this word is doing, what this message that we're going to talk about today is, is showing that we have been, had such a restricted and closed um, view of what are the purpose of our imagination and the power of our imagination. And it's restricted us, like Tisa said, to calling creativity just, you know, you have to have some markers or some paint or something like that to be creative. But we are actually always creating because he made us that way. We've been creating this whole time. I want to propose to you that the body of Christ has been creating. Humanity has been creating. So when you look at the world around you, we've created it. We created it. So this proposed, this concept proposed that the imagination is the, essentially the first step in God's creative, creative process. We see it, visualize it, we speak it, and then we put action behind it, right? That's the creative process. Being made in his image, our creative process should be identical to his. And that's what we're going for. That would be the sanctified imagination. However, I realized very quickly that our creative process has been hijacked. And I want you to keep an open mind today. One of the thing messages in this word is not just how powerful your creativity is, but the extent to which it has been hijacked. I want to propose that we as, as people have been indoctrinated by fear. We have been operating and lending our powerful imagination. I don't even want to give it a number more so to build fear's kingdom than we have been to build his kingdom. And we've called it wisdom. So much so that there are books written on it, it's preached, it's, you know, it's taught as wisdom to partner with a hijacked creative process. So I just want to propose to you that, that the hijacked imagination is going on on us more than you could possibly imagine right now, more than you have ever thought. And I hope to point out some things, and I feel like this, this study that I went on is going to start unveiling that, okay? It's going to start unveiling that to us. And so let's look again at God's creative process, okay? I just want to, I really want you to, to, to get this, okay, to picture what we're talking about today. So on my study, I read a commentary from Brian Simmons' book, The Image Maker, that talks about Genesis and the creation. And he wrote, in time before time, he had determined to create a universe, he being God, of course, 
create a universe and a planet called Earth so he could deposit his very image and likeness into his creation. In his, his eternal thoughts, his thoughts, he knew it was time to act. It was time to bring into being a universe for his glory. God imagined, God imagined the cosmos in all its vast splendor. He imagined the spinning orbs of the innumerable stars, galaxies, and the universe. He thought deeply before creating. He thought deeply before creating earth with its deep valleys, high mountains, and lush landscape. Then he spoke. And it all began with an explosion of light streaming everywhere. God's thoughts had already imagined and shaped the largest galaxy and the smallest atom before he created them. With exquisite skill and creativity, exquisite skill and creativity, God shaped all things by his word and spoke them into being with intricate detail and skill. So I found this after this initial proposal that I felt was the Holy Spirit was stirring up in me, right? And so here it is just reinforced again, right? God imagined it. It wasn't just a passing like, Meh, I think I'll, you know, maybe I'll make some people. Let's see how this turns out. He thought deeply about it. Deeply, he thought deeply and intricately. He imagined it. And so I started wondering, well, where else in Scripture does it talk about this? There's got to be more about this idea that the process that God went. What was God's creative process? And so my first Scripture that I thought of was Psalms 139. <clears throat> it says, you saw who you created me to be before I came became me. Well, that's one we have kind of know. But I thought, well, there it is. It does say I, you saw, yeah. you know. You saw. So imagination. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. So there's one verse. You saw who you created me to be. And then, of course, I knew that Brian Simmons had been talking about, you know, when God created us. And so I looked over at Genesis uh, 2-7. And in the Amplified, it says, Then the Lord God formed that is created the body of man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being an individual complete in body and spirit now in the footnote in the amplified it says that that word formed is a hebrew word yatser i'm not promising that i'm pronouncing these words right today okay yeah um was the hebrew word yatser the action is described with the Hebrew word created, okay? So we've got the Hebrew word formed and created that goes together, the Hebrew word yatzer. So I looked, I thought, well, what's another verse? What's another verse that come that is um, has to do with this? And this verse that I have always loved came to my mind, Isaiah 26, 3. And it was a verse that I have... Um, been in pursuit of, I guess you could say. I've been in pursuit of my life being representative of that verse. I love this verse. It's one of the verses that captured my attention early on in my walk with him and, and was like, that's what I want. You know, that's what I want. And I've been in pursuit of it ever since. 
And in the Passion Translation, Isaiah 26.3 says, Perfect, absolute peace surrounds those whose imaginations are consumed with you. They confidently trust in you. So there it is again, imagination. So the Passion Translation footnote, I love it, of course, says that the imagination, that word could also be translated as steadfast mind. And it says the Hebrew word is yetzer. The other word was yatzer, and this is yetzer. Okay, so God formed the earth, yatzer, and this imagination or steadfast mind is yetzer, I guess. And he goes on to say that this word means imagination that forms and frames up. Now, this statement he made just really stood out to me. The imagination frames up one's reality. And I, I've, I have known this to be true. I haven't thought about it in this way, but I thought, yeah, you know, what we think on, I know, affects how I feel. It affects how I live my life. And so it, it does frame up my reality. What I think on frames up my reality. So our imagination frames up one's reality. It doesn't matter what Tisa says or what I say or what somebody else says to you or what book you read says. Your imagination frames your reality. And he goes on to say, of course, that it's unfortunate that many today have rejected the God-created imagination that each of us possesses. Our imagination must be set apart for God and continually made holy. The imagination, both good and evil, is a frequent concept in the Bible. And then he gives me this great key. He says, the Hebrew word yetzer is found nine times in the Old Testament. So I'm like, jackpot, I found it, right? I wanted to know where this was in Scripture. There it is. And so I basically went on a journey of looking up every one of those scriptures and studying the words that were used. And the Holy Spirit spoke a prophetic message to me for us on each one of them. And it was just amazing. It just it made this whole thing expand, okay? And so what I've done, and you um, can read it, you know, revisit your packet later on, but I um, went through and I left the highlights in the packet where the yellow highlighted words are that are the words yetzer, which is imagination, and the blue highlighted words are formed, more of the action part, okay? So we'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but I, I really wanted to connect the dots and see what the different, you know, imagination, we have such a restricted view, as Brian Simmons often says, you know, of what our words have a, just a short meaning. That's why he does these all these footnotes, because the words really originally meant more than we, we think of. And so just to flush that out a little bit more, the amplified version of 26.3 refers to perfect and constant peace, uh, the one whose mind is steadfast and focused on you in both inclination and character, in what you're inclined to do what your character is. It's the same word for imagination. The same word. What you're inclined to do and what character you have is the same word. That makes it a lot more than just having 
paints or markers, doesn't it? So in uh, another verse that it mentioned there was Isaiah 29:16. So I jumped over to that, and that verse is talking about, um, he says, who is more intelligent, the potter or the clay? Should a created thing say to its creator, you didn't make me? Make is the same word, okay? You didn't make me. Should a clay pot say to the potter, you don't understand? The footnote again shows that this word make is also imagine. So it's just confirming it over and over that we make something when we imagine something. It starts with what we imagine. The root word of yatzer is yatzer and has the primary meaning of to form, fashion, frame, make, especially as a potter. And it says right there, before you can form or frame something, it has to be imagined. So it's clarifying and reinforcing the idea that there's an order to this process of how we create, whether we're intentionally creating or we're unintentionally and don't realize that we're creating. It has to be imagined before it can be formed or framed. So I wanted us to to look a little bit closer at those two words. Um, The Yatzer word, which is the imagination word, Obviously, there's some overlap because one is a root word of the other, okay? But the breakdown, the way I see it, was basically the Yatzer word is the imagination. Um, it's what is framed in the mind, where the, the Yatzer word is more of the two-form, two-fashion. I'm, I'm seeing it as more of the action behind it, okay? like the verb the action to to actually form something from what you've imagined okay that's how we see it in in most of the scriptures so um but back to the the yates or the first one for imagination the yellow notice that it says there that the fir- the the first word in that second definition is purpose so what's your purpose for something that you have what do you go and What's your, what's your purpose in going and doing something? Or what did you buy something for what purpose? It goes back to that, what your inclination and your character is. What, what's driving you? What's your purpose and what you're doing in any given decision is the same word as imagination. It's what is framed in the mind. And then the, the Yatzer word is, like I said, I, I see that as being more of the verb, of the action. You take action on. So you're, you're actually speaking the word, what you've imagined. This is when God formed us. It was after he imagined us. Then he, Yatzer, the Yatzer word, okay, or Yatzer, the blue word, to form or to fashion. And notice in the, in the, um, the uh, dictionary here of this word, it says both of human activity and of divine activity. So it's, it's again highlighted right there. We are, we are doing this and we're meant to do this. We're meant to form from what we've imagined. It also down there, the, the third definition says to frame, to preordain. That, that shows the forethought in this process again. To be formed, to be created, to be predetermined preordained, okay? Such a strong connection there. Again, we imagine it before we speak it into existence. 
So the speaking of our words that we've been really, we've highlighted that into the Christian community, you know, lately quite a bit, how powerful our words are. We create with our words, but you imagined it before you ever said it. You had a motive, you had an intention, you have a character, you're inclined in a certain direction before you ever said it. And everything you're saying is coming secondary to that. It's got to be pretty important, right? So, of course, I put the modern-day English version of uh, the definition for imagination, the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. That seems really limiting, limit, like a very limited definition after all that we've seen in the Hebrew. <laughs> I had to put it in there anyways. Okay, so like I said, I, I studied out these different words that I, I um, these different scriptures where I knew the these this root word, the Yatzer and the Yatzer were. And so I found um, various messages from Papa in there. And so um, I realized that if we, being made in his image, have this identical creative process and design in us, what's the real purpose for it? Because we've been doing it kind of willy-nilly whether we know we're doing it or not, right? So what's the real purpose? Why did he give this to us? And so I found in 1 Chronicles 28.9, in the voice, it says, To you, my son Solomon, maintain a relationship with the God of your father and serve him with a complete heart in all your thoughts and actions. The eternal searches all hearts for their desires and understands the intentions. That's the imagination word again, is the intentions of every thought. If you search for him as he searches you, then he will let you find him. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. Realize that the eternal has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. You must be resolute and do it. Building a temple. That's right. Wow. In the amplified version of the same verse, it says, of course, know God, know the God of your father, have personal knowledge of him, be acquainted with and understand him, appreciate, heed and cherish him, serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands every intent and inclination of the thoughts. And down to verse 10 again, it says, consider this carefully. Consider everything I just told you about your imagination, about the intent and inclination of your thoughts, because the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and strong and do it. Do it. That is the purpose of this imagination. He's saying, hey, make sure you get this forethought right. Make sure you get your inclination, your character, your imagination right. Because don't forget, it's so important because you have been called to build the temple and you must be resolute in doing it. And of course, it all starts with know the God of your father. Know the God of your father. 
maintain a relationship with the God of your father. That's, of course, where it all start, starts, right? That's where our imagination, our inclination, and our character is all going to be refined and operate like, like him so that we can build the temple. We jump down a little bit further, still in First Chronicles, in verse twenty-nine or chapter twenty-nine, verse eighteen and nineteen, but we find the same word again when it says, "O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts, purposes and thoughts in the minds of your people." We should all be praying this for the sake of the world right now. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the minds of your people and direct their hearts toward you. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes and do all that is necessary to build the temple for you. All that is necessary. Same verse in the voice that talks about sustain this purpose and thought. Same word. Sustain this purpose and thought in the hearts of your people forever. And do you think we've done that? Do you think our purpose and our thoughts in humanity at large has been focused on building his temple? No. no. Like far from it, right? Like, dang, we have fallen so short on this. At, at most, in, gen, in the greater population, I'm not saying it's true for us, but in the greater population, it's a bumper sticker or, you know, a, a bracelet or a T-shirt or something. That's not the purpose and the thought in the hearts of your people. Especially give to my son Solomon a perfect heart, one that keeps your commandments, your testimonies, and your laws, one that will do them all and that will build the temple. So I wrote a little commentary of my own here, and I said the use of this word, Yetzer, in all of these passages reinforces the notion that our imagination is of great importance in what we are called to do. Build the temple. Build the temple. That would apply to our own temple, our own temple, right? And to the bringing of heaven to earth so that the world would be his temple, right? The body of Christ is made up of a bunch of temples that form a corporate temple. So it's not just us, but the body. It's the equipping and training. This purpose and thought was essential and of great importance. No wonder the enemy has tried to hijack it for his purposes instead of God's. It seems he's been rather successful for many generations. Now... It's common to call this dynamic operating in wisdom. I'm referring to the dynamic of using our imagination, our purposes, and our thoughts, our character and inclination to partner with fear. Okay? And, and we call it wisdom. And we'll, we're going to talk a little bit later about flushing out how that, what that looks like more in our daily life, but I think you know what I'm talking about on some level where we... We are like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of money, so I'm going to work more hours. Or I'm afraid that I'm not going to have any money when I get to be 65 years old, so I'm going to take all this money and make it my highest priority to work, 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 and save all this money so that I'll be provided for. You know, it's the, it's the stuff we do like that that God clearly says in his words, I will provide. Yeah. 
for you. And it's way out of balance. And we call that wisdom. I mean, there are Christian organizations, and I'm not saying saving your money is bad, obviously. I'm not saving, saying that future planning is bad. I'm just saying it gets way out of balance where we're motivated in our purposes in life and our intentions in life by being afraid of things. So I, I had recently heard Johnny Enlow mention how the Israelites being brought out of Egypt may not have even called themselves slaves, which is hard to imagine now, right? Hearing the Bible story as it's been taught, you know, but maybe they didn't even call themselves slaves. By that time, they were a few generations into living that way. And it may have been just considered the way that life was. He implied that as we come out of this past season as the body of Christ and into the kingdom age, that we too will look back and see that we ourselves were slaves, that we were slaves. Can you imagine a few generations from now and people saying, wow, the body of Christ was enslaved. I mean, I just want to propose to you that's going to be common knowledge that, you know, the 1900s, well, that's when the body of Christ, they were slaves. They were held captive by Egypt. And so I didn't know what that, how could that, how could that be? You know, what would that, how could, how could that be right now? I don't feel like a slave. I mean, gosh, we're fighting for freedom all the time and all this different ways. Right. So, but I, I realized here that this might be it that perhaps we will realize that we've been slaves to fear. Using our imaginations, our purpose, and thoughts on fear instead of building the temple. I think we're going to continue to see this unveiled to us in our personal lives, how, oh my gosh, I'm spending 25% of my time, you know, imagining what can I do to avoid that thing that fear said might happen. I'm going to put my money towards all this stuff to make sure that that thing I'm afraid of doesn't happen. That's using our imagination to, and our intents, our purposes to, towards what fear has said, not what God said. So perhaps we will realize that we've been building the fears temple. Perhaps we will say we were enslaved to fear using our God-given abilities, gifts, and talents for fears purposes instead of God's. And I just have to say this real quickly too. The simple breakdown is, you know, the love casts out all fear, right? Love is the opposite of fear. God is 100% love. So if we are partnering with fear in any way, we are partnering with an antichrist spirit. There is no overlap. It is anti-God to partner with fear because Fear is the opposite of love. So our culture has taught us that there's some wisdom in listening to fear. There's some that's it's it's just taught it taught us that. And so, but it is literally demonic. It is literally it's it's not as not a gray area. It's black and white. If we are partnering with fear, being motivated by fear in any way, on any level, we are being motivated by a demonic spirit, not by God. It's 100% in opposition to him. 
So just as the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt for the purposes of building Egypt's kingdom, we have been enslaved to fear and building its temple instead of God's. Again, look at the world around us right now. How many temples have been built for fear? If we look at the state of the world and what we've put our, our thoughts and intentions and our resources into, look at what we built. Does it look like a temple for God or does it look like a temple to be afraid? You can't even watch television hardly anymore because the news might pop on for a minute and it's all fear, you know? If you open up your computer, you're taking a risk because it's fear, fear, fear. It's everywhere on some level or another. We built it. We built that. Our partnership with it. The media only responds to what gives them good ratings, what we say we're interested in. And so we have sat around as a, as, as a culture and said, oh, well, I want to hear what's going on over there so that I make sure I don't do that. Or I want to hear what I need to be afraid of lately. Or what are the latest statistics on that so I know how afraid to be? Because we've said we will, that will give, us, give you good ratings. We'll watch that. Look at TV shows. You know, God help you if you try to find something good to watch on TV just for simple entertainment. Because it is Fear, 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 fear. It's, it's, it's like finding a needle in a haystack to find something that's just simple entertainment without some other agenda. Because it sells. Fear sells in this world today because we said that's what we wanted to pay attention to. That's the temple we've built. We have built halls. Think about the big elaborate halls, okay? Just take that, that, the idea of a temple and it not being just, we've, we've built elaborate halls and temples and sanctuaries and establishments for fear, to worship fear. So another thought I had on this was that considering the one life message that we had on the God of the amen, you guys remember that one, his yes, my amen? He isn't involved in the lies that we're meditating on, right? He would, won't even speak to them because he would have to say a no to them and he's always a yes, right? If our imaginations are preoccupied with what fear has told us to prevent, with what fear has told us to imagine, then our imaginations are busy over in the left field somewhere Instead of where God is at saying is yes. He's over, he's over there somewhere saying, yep, yes, yes, yes. I say yes to that. I say yes to that. I say yes to that. And we're over here doing this whole other thing. And he's like, well, I'm not even speaking over there. I'm not doing anything over there. We have been chosen to build a temple as a sanctuary, just like Solomon. We must be resolute in keeping our mind fixed on what actually builds instead of prevents. Yes. Building, our imagination was for the purpose of building, not for preventing. We've got to nail that down and identify it within ourselves. Are we building something or are we preventing something? It's a simple way to check yourself. Am I building something right now or am I preventing something? So that brings us to what I'm calling the hijacked creative process, right? Another nugget that I found in scripture where this word was found, the imagination word, 
um, was in Habakkuk 2, verse 18. And I want this is the nugget I found here is that a hijacked creative process is motivated by fear to create preventative measures, right? That's what we do. We hear about something scary and we come up with a way to avoid that happening to us. All right? I want to propose that by doing that, we put our faith in idols. All our preventative measures, which again, the world calls wisdom, is putting a faith in idols. So let's look at this verse, Habakkuk 2, 18, in the voice. It says, what use is an idol shaped by its maker? There's the, the Yatzer word. It is nothing but an image cast in metal, and it teaches deception. For a foolish idol maker puts faith in his own creation, a God that cannot speak. These same words are in that verse. Do you see the blue and the yellow? The maker and the, his own creation, his own creation. This is the Yatzer word, the imagination. And the amplified, what profit is the carved image when its maker has formed it? It's only a cast image and the, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation as his God when he makes speechless idols. Now, that's easy to imagine, right, when you read the Old Testament stories and you picture the little wooden carved images and stuff and like okay that's absurd you think that little wooden thing is going to talk back to you when you pray to it we think that's ridiculous right we're doing the exact same thing the exact same thing i wrote here that here we see our foolishness in using our powerful imagination for the purposes of prevention Creating a way to avoid what fear has said. Okay, you picture it, you hear something on the news, you hear something a friend says, or your bank account says something, you hear some piece of information, right? You get afraid about it, and then you start imagining, what can I do about it? Tomorrow, when I get up, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. You know what, tomorrow I'm going to call them or text them, and I'm going to say this, that, and the other, so that they don't think that thing that I think that they think about me, you know? Fear. We're taking a fear thought and we're saying, what can I do to make sure that that fear, scary thing doesn't happen to me or that scary thought doesn't happen, isn't true anymore? I've got to change it. I've got to come up with something to do to prevent what fear just scared me of. We created with our imagination. We used our imagination and spent time dreaming of and imagining something to do in response to what fear said. Our imagination, our purpose in this exercise is no different than making an idol that we put our faith in. We made it up. It's, it's not like we got a Holy Spirit message that said, hey, I want you to go and set aside $100 every month. Okay, great, I'll do that. That's a Holy Spirit message. When I think, oh my gosh, you know, I'm really worried that I'm going to run out of money. I've got to put money in the bank. I've got to save money over here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. That's a fear driven. The action could be, you know, identical. But what drove you to do it? What drove you to do it? We're making an idol. We say, I will take this preventative measure to avoid what I have imagined in response to fear. Our preventative measure is an idol, a God that cannot speak. 
a God that cannot speak. Instead of putting our trust in the safety and protection that is God-made, we put it in our self-made preventative measures. This further supports the idea that God is not involved in this process. He can't speak into this process because we are trying to converse with an idol. We are just like they carved little wooden images and tried to set them up and light a candle near it or something every day that we're sitting around creating prevention, preventative measures and hoping that it's going to work out for us. We're spending all of our time talking with that thing instead of talking to God about what we're, what we're scared of or what our needs are or what thought popped into our head. And that thing can't talk back. It's just a, 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 it's a piece of wood. It's just a dead piece of wood. It's not even a live piece of wood. It's just a dead piece of wood. <laughs> it's dead wood. It's dead. It's dead. It's our own creation. It's self-made, self-made, self-protection, self-created ideas. It's forming something with our imagination that has nothing to do with him. It's using our imagination for the purposes of fear, for what fear lobbed out there and said, hey, maybe I'll take this bait. So in the next verse I looked at, I saw a word of caution to us in Scripture about the hijacked imagination. And an obvious connection, I don't know how I've never seen it before now that I see it, between our imagination and the law of seed and harvest. Okay? Do you remember us talking about the law of seed and harvest and um, that this was the governmental system that God put into place on earth when he created us, when he created the world? He said, what you plant will grow. What you plant will grow, and you will reap that harvest. And so this was Robin Bullock's great great argument about why God is absolutely good because people will say, well, God's not good if he let that happen or if he did that or he did that. God can't be good all the time if these bad things happened. And this is the answer. It's like, well, no, God just said this is the governmental system of how this world works. You plant a seed, it's going to grow. So it's bad things happen to people after they planted bad seeds. Of course, the great news is with Jesus is our redemption, and he, he gave us a way to, even if we have planted bad seeds, there's a way to repent and to ask him to redeem that. So that is another, uh, the law of seed and harvest is another whole thing that I hope we spend a lot more time on even this year about realizing the different ways. Because again, I want to propose to you, it's not just words that we're planting seeds with. I think we've been focused on what we say a lot, like I started off with, about what words did you say? Well, you just planted something. Well, I want to propose we're planting seeds with our imagination too, with our thoughts, our imagination. We're coming, creating seeds and planting them, and we're, we're growing harvests. We're growing things from that. So that's the law of seed and harvest. So I go to this next verse, Genesis 6-5. Now, this is pre-flood. In, Gen in Genesis, okay, but it's right before the flood. And in the Passion Translation, it says that, but Yahweh saw how extremely wicked humanity had become, for they imagined, 
imagined only evil. Same word. They imagined only evil for all they thought about was doing evil all the time. And Yahweh was saddened that he had made humanity. He was sad that he made humanity and his heart was filled with pain. Now we we think of evil as being some extreme level, right? But I would say if you're building a temple for something that's against God, that's pretty evil. If you're building a temple for fear, that's evil. It's the opposite of good, right? But let's look at the Amplified and, and flush it out a little bit more. The Lord saw that the wickedness or depravity of man was great on the earth and that every imagination or intent of the thoughts, intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made mankind on this earth and he was deeply grieved in his heart. That's heavy, isn't it? It's really, it's, it's really heavy, sad. In the voice, it says, the, e- the eternal one saw that wickedness was rampaging throughout the earth and that evil had become the first thought. Now just replace there, the fear had become the first thought. What if fear had become the first thought on every mind and the constant purpose of every person? If fear, when we got up in the morning or we started off our week or when we go to sleep at night, if fear was the first thought and the constant predominant dominating purpose of every person, that's what he was saying he saw here. And at that point, God's heart broke and he regretted having ever made man in the first place. This is why he sent the flood to wipe out humanity. Okay, that's big. This is a direct connection here to the the people, humanity using their imagination, their thoughts for evil. It's why, and it grieved him so badly that he sent the flood to wipe out humanity. Now, thankfully, I know probably everybody in here, you go to that next thought is that, thank you, Jesus. He promised he'd never do it again, right? Because we'd be in trouble right now. We'd be in big trouble. So, but let's look at the next verse that this word is found in. We go to Genesis 8, verse 21. This is after the flood, okay? Right before this, it said that they basically left the ark, all the animals left the ark, and Noah built an altar to the Lord. Yes, thank you, Noah. And it says in verse 21 that, And when Yahweh smelled the sweet fragrance of Noah's offering, his heart was stirred, and he said, Never again will I curse the earth because of people. Even though the imagination of their hearts are evil from their childhood, even though I will never again curse the earth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. Right? So that's our safety right there. Reassurance. He's never going to do it again. Next thing he says, I promise this. As long as earth exists, there will always be seasons of planting and harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Why did he say that right after that? Why does he need to tell them, like, I never saw this this way before, but okay, great, you're never going to destroy the earth, but we can always keep farming. 
It's probably what I thought. You know, we can keep farming. Okay, thank you. You'll, our crops will grow and we'll have food to eat. But why does he say that? And I, find, I got it in this moment. He says, even though your imagination is still corrupt, corrupt, okay, we're still using our imagination for the wrong things and we're inclined that way. I will never again destroy this, but I promise you there will always be the law of seed and harvest. So I won't destroy you because of your imagination, but you better remember your imagination will always and forever be subject to the law of seed and harvest. It was a warning to us. It was saying, I won't, I won't use my, my, um, what is it called? I can't think of the word right now, but my overarching authority and ability to wipe you out and to correct you that way. But you will reap the consequences of what you, what comes from your imagination. Remember, he's saying, remember, remember, remember the law of seed and harvest will always be in effect. So connect the dots. People He's saying, I wiped out the entire world because of what was going on in their thoughts and their imagination for what they were using their creative process for. I wiped the entire world out because it grieved me so badly. And I will never do that again because of his great mercy and love for us. But connect the dots, people. The, connect the dots. The law of seed and a harvest is in effect. He's like, please, please connect the dots here about what you're doing and how this works. You can't just imagine any old thing. You can't just spend your time thinking on any old thing, dreaming on any old thing, pondering on any old thing and not be building. You are building something, even it may be for the enemy. You are planting seeds and it will produce a harvest. It will produce a harvest. We will forever reap the harvest of the seeds of our imagination. This is critically important. Can I have my water, please? So critically, critically important. Thank you. So this was such a fun journey. I mean, every single word in these nine different occasions in the Old Testament where this word imagination is used is revealing all of these messages. So the next one I went to, Psalm 103.14, and I found it again in a, a, in a subtle way. It says in Psalm 103.14, know all about us, inside. you know all about us, inside and out. That's the imagination word, inside and out. Okay, amazing, that's the same word. Yeah. Our, think about your intentions on the inside and what you're doing with on the outside. <laughs> same word, yeah. imagination. But you are mindful that we're made up from dust. In uh, the Passion Translation, his footnote says, again, that this word yatzer can be translated to form or frame. God knows our frame. It, it says interestingly here that but yatzer has a homonym that can mean to be in distress or to be frustrated. I was like, wow, I wonder why. Why would that be the homonym? You know, what is, and what's the message in this verse? And Brian uh, Simmons translated it and thought, well, you know all about our frustrations and distress would be another way you could read that verse then, if you think about the homonym. And he says, these thoughts combined would mean that God hasn't forgotten that he was formed, he formed us from dust, and we will experience frustrations as human beings. He's sympathetic to our difficulties. 
okay, that's great. I'm glad he's sympathetic and he knows. And, and I even thought, okay, well, maybe he's saying, look, I know it's hard. You're just made from dust, but I've made a way, you know, I've made a way for you. But then I figured out that it has even an additional meaning. It supported the idea of the hijacked creative process. The same word for this imagination, intents, and thoughts and purposes could also mean to be in distress or be frustrated. So I propose, you know, that God has meaning and intention behind everything in his word, including the subtle nuances of language. Could this instance point to our experience when his design for us is hijacked by an ulterior motive? We can either use our imagination to form, to build, or we can be held captive by the distress and frustration that we've made the focus of our imagination. So I felt like this just, I mean, a homonym could have been something a little bit closer related, but I would say imagination and all of that, that to be flipped completely and to be, to mean to be in distress and be frustrated. It has to point to the, the two choices we have in the garden of how we're going to use this creative process that he's made in us. Are we going to build with him? Are we going to imagine with him? Or are we going to focus on the distress and frustration in our life and use that creative process for that? So I felt like it was just another reinforcement from the Holy Spirit and that he put this in scripture for us. So next, well, this was actually, a, this I came about this in a different way, this next um, point I wanted to include in here that I found in scripture. Um, I had to search this one out. Um, it wasn't one of the ones that actually includes the imagination word, but I had previously heard Johnny Enlow talk about there being a prophetic message in the story of Peter when he went fishing and how gee, they couldn't catch any fish all night. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, throw your net starboard. And then they catch this crazy amount of fish, right? And so that just come, kept coming back to my mind. And I was like, well, what... What um, does that have to do with this whole imagination thing? Well, I didn't know. I still don't know. I don't remember exactly what Johnny Enlow's point was in it. But I just remembered him mentioning that starboard is the right side of the boat. And there could be a connection or a reference to being right-brained. Okay? Your right brain is your creative side. Your left brain is your logic side. Okay? So there could be a prophetic message in there. So I kept pressing in to find it, and I, this was probably the last nugget I even found on this whole, all that we're sharing today, but uh, and I, I just had to include it. So in John 21, verse 3 and 6, we see that um, Peter says to the other disciples, I'm going fishing, and they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night, but caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. He called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did, as he said, and they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in their net. So the footnote there, this is where it clicked for me. It says that according to Luke 24, the same point in the storyline, the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem for the day they would be clothed with power. 
these seven apostles were not following what they had been told. And for this reason, they caught nothing until Jesus joined them. So I was like, well, how does this apply to our process, what we're talking about here today? We'll notice that another footnote says that another um, way to uh, translate the did you catch any fish was have you caught anything to eat? And so I was thinking that here the disciples are, they're supposed to be waiting to be clothed in power. You know, they're probably freaked out because it hasn't happened yet, right? And I think that happens for us a lot. And we kick into that self-protective mode when we have to wait on God sometimes. I remember learning this very early in my um, process of being mentored here at One Life because I wanted God to tell me how to make decisions and wanted to know, but I needed to know now. And I, I knew what I thought and I knew what I thought I should do, but I, you know, I either had to wait for somebody to call me back or I had to wait for God to tell me the answer. And that was tough because I thought I couldn't afford to wait on all of these things. I mean, that is repeated for me. I remember very early on having that experience. So yes, I'm all for you leading me, Lord. I'm all for laying down my way. Show me your way. I'm all in. And then it's just crickets. I mean, what do you do in that moment, right? That's a huge lesson of that uh, attention in the waiting of testing of our faith and of our trust in him. Will you actually come through and tell me what to do? Because I'm just hanging out here. I'm still in the same boat, same situation. You're not speaking, you know, like you said, you're going to clothe me of power. I'm still sitting here. Nothing's happening. And so I want to propose to you that that's what Peter was experiencing. And he was like, you know what? I'm going fishing. I know how to fish. I used to fish. We're hungry. We need some food. That's the one thing I know what to do. So, you know, this waiting business, I can't hang any longer. I'm going fishing. That's the one thing I know how to do. We need to eat. I'm going to go make it happen. And so they went fishing. So I want to propose that that's what was happening. And they didn't catch anything. And so then interject here that, that Jesus comes along. They don't know it's him. And they said, throw your net over on the starboard side. I'm here. He, he didn't, they didn't know he was here, but he's on the scene now. Throw your net over on the starboard side. Hey, instead of responding to your present situation with what you used to know, with your logic, acting out of your old self-made preventative measures, right, your idols, operate in creativity with me and see what you get. Operate on the right brain side instead of that old logic that you've relied on that you didn't need me for. Before Jesus arrived, while they were waiting, they were just doing this on their own. And then he shows up and he says, hey, operate on the right side. Operate in creativity with me and see what you, what you get. And it says just a few verses later in verse 11, so Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153 but even with so many fish, the net was not torn. The footnote there says that, um, that this speaks to the great redemption of Christ for all nations and all people. 153 large fish points to the mighty harvest from among the people groups of the world. 
this great catch of fish begins the process of inner healing for Peter and the guilt of his denial for Christ. Peter began to follow Jesus because of a great catch of fish. So Jesus now repeated that miracle, inviting Peter to begin following him again. So good. According to the early church father, Jerome, there were 153 species of fish in the Lake Galilee. One of every kind was caught. And this, this would remind Peter of his original call to be a fisher of men. It's so amazing. Now, I've heard um, Chuck Pierce was one prophet that I know of, and I know other people have connected the dots between the number of 153, that there will be 153 sheep nations. And I don't even know all about that, you know, but that it is a definite reference from many different sources to the fulfillment of God's kingdom. One of every kind, one of every species, right? And so my concluding thought on this, this nugget was that um, right brain is associated with creativity, left brain is with logic. So perhaps they were reverting back to what they knew before they met Jesus. They occupied themselves with an activity they had relied on in the past to feed themselves. But their self-made efforts in response to fear produced nothing. But when Jesus was on the scene and involved, however, right-brained, starboard creativity produced an abundance that not only met their own personal needs, but the larger picture of what was on God's heart for his kingdom. So I just want to propose to you that he's saying this, this message for right now at this time, that there's this release of going out right now about creativity. Like we had no idea that these other prophets were going to release words now about creativity. There's a huge emphasis on it. And so listen to the message from the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying this is the kingdom age and this is directly related to what I'm bringing about on the earth. If you will operate on your creative side, on the right side with me, you'll have all of your own needs met and you will fulfill your purpose in bringing about the kingdom. It's such a powerful example, isn't it? Throw your net on the right side. Throw your net on the right side with him on the scene. So I wanted to point out some of, I mentioned that I would share a few um, of the brainstorming examples that I came up with about how we partner with fear and using our imagination just to make it a little bit more personal or practical. This is not a conclusive list. I'm sure everybody has their own, you know, and there's many more. But I broke it down into a few categories. There's the fear of the future where we use our imagination to say, well, what if I don't have enough money? Right? I'll live down by the, under the bridge in a box. Imagine that. You start picturing that. I mean, have you caught yourselves doing this? Like, I'll have a thought go by, and I'm like, oh my gosh, if that happens, then it will look like blah, 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 blah. And I have to come back. I have to catch myself, because I'll just run down there, and I'll picture it. I'll see the picture. Remember how what I said? If I say dog, I picture a dog. If I say white dog, I picture a white dog. My The picture begins to form in my mind when I focus on what fear has said. So what if I'm alone? What if disaster strikes? What if they reject me? What would that look like if they reject me? We run down the road with that. What if they don't understand me? 
what if they don't like me? What if I fail at what I'm trying to do? What if, what if? Those are all imagination that we're using with fear. What if this happens? And then we, we create from that place. It's, it's, it happens on little bitty, a little bitty tiny scale and all the way up to the big scale. I've just proposed we're doing this way more than we have ever realized. So there's also, of course, the fear of the past. Sometimes when the past has produced an outcome that we don't like, we will sometimes use our imagination to ruminate on how we wish it had gone, like we could do it over, right? And instead of partnering our imagination with how God sees the future, we repeatedly reimagine the past. That's ruminating on what could have been instead of partnering with what God sees in the future. And a simple example I thought of is we're at work and we say, I don't like my boss. I wish I'd taken that other job instead of this one. You know, that year ago when I made this decision to make this career change, I wish I'd chosen differently. If I had, I'm sure by now I'd be my own boss and I'd have my own office in that really tall building they have down there. You start picturing it, right? You're picturing it. And then I wouldn't have to deal with all these people because all of my irritation with these people or my, my, that person scares me or this person makes me mad or whatever. We ruminate on, we go back and reimagine how we could have done something. Instead, we should be, we should be asking God, of course, in that situation, how do I work with these people? How do you see my future in this place? How do you see me helping that person that's really frustrated and grumpy today? Or what's my, my long-term goal here? How can I impact this company? That's what we should be using our imagination on in that scenario, right? But I know I've done it before. I'm just sitting at my desk, and next thing you know, I'm off having a Walter Mitty moment, you know, but it's not a good one. It's a, well, what if this had happened, you know? If you haven't seen that movie, it's really funny. But it's the perfect, there's so many examples of just drifting off into your imagination and picturing it all in full color, all of it, until you come back to the present day. So I this happens, I want to say, though, on a much um, smaller scale, a much more undetectable scale. And we will run with it because, you know, we connect the dots. We're like, oh, man, you know, my relationship with that person isn't good. Remember that one time that we had that one interaction, you know, 10 years ago? And I bet if I'd done that thing 10 years ago, we wouldn't be in this state right now. So maybe I could have done this, that, and the other. I mean, we will go over and over and over it. And that is, we'll partner, that is also partnering with the, tor- the torment of fear. Because it's empowering the fact that you did something wrong, that you, that you messed it up by your one decision. It just opens a door in a massive way to be bombarded with even more stuff. And then with, in response to that, we just imagine again. You know, I mean, I'll do a whole volley thing. Well, if I'd said this, then then maybe they would have said that. Well, then I would have said this. And then when they said that to that, then I would do this. And if they did this, then I would do that. And that's how that would have all gone. And I can't, I can't do anything about that. There's nothing about that that we could replay, right? So fear of the past, things about the past that we spend time imagining to be different as if it could help our future. We should always be partnering with God's creative design for today, for the present day, in the future. 
And as I mentioned, in the tension of waiting on the future or for the past to play out, we can have a low tolerance for the fear that creeps in. We want the fear to stop, but it's admittedly really loud. So we turn to one of the tools we've been trained in the most. What can I do in my own strength? That's the example we just gave with Peter and fishing. Because in the tension, we say, I have to do something. I can't just let this, this picture that fear just painted for me, I can't just let it be. I, I'm, I'm not, I can't just accept that. So I've got to do something, right? So we revert back to what um, our own self-made efforts, and it just engages us in several different ways of the examples we've shared today, the different ways of using our imagination with fear. I love, um, I had to include a, a quote from Tisa because it was so powerful to me and just, you know, it's one of those things on a t-shirt we need. It says, if, if you've done everything you know how to do and you have to leave something in God's hands, then you, you, we shouldn't be conjuring up stuff to do when he told us to wait. And so she said, if he says rest, then that means he is at work, not you. You are at wait. <laughs> I just loved it. I had to include that. He's at work, you're at wait. He's at work, you're at wait. We really need to take the fear out of the waiting, right? And that's recent message on his time. Timing, so important, so important. So here's another really good one, a subtle way that we engage with fear is allowing fear to define our present reality. It's appropriate for us to use our imagination to envision what God is doing and what he wants the future to look like, right? That's appropriate. But it must be rooted in what is on his heart, not what fear has said. So here we find it again. It's a really a fine line. I propose that we have been so trained to listen to fear, indoctrinated by fear, that even when we think of the future, we can often think of it in terms of how to improve something that fear has defined. Fear calls something bad, and so we imagine how to make it stop. And we think we're planning with God and pursuing something for him, but we let fear define what we're seeing, define our present circumstances. Lou is tricky, people. He is tricky, and we have been falling for it for a long time, and it just seems natural. But it's a slippery slope with him, and he's found, he's, you know, had, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands, however many years, to come up with all these different angles to make sure we slip back into or stay engaged with his agenda of fear and building that temple and using this powerful resource of the creative process with him. An example of this would be a fear of rejection tells me that being uncomfortable means something is a threat, right? If I'm uncomfortable, something must be dangerous. Something's, I always say the dangerous thing, and Tisa giggles at that because I'm like, well, she's like, well, why is that a problem? I said, well, it feels dangerous. It just means it feels threatening, but we all have it, right? So... If the fear of rejection tells me that being uncomfortable means something is a threat, therefore, I will imagine ways to avoid being uncomfortable. That's not really solving the problem in the first place, right? It's a sleight of hand. But we will we'll imagine that ways to avoid being uncomfortable will put all this creative power and resources into 
avoiding ways to be uncomfortable. I mean, I've done it just even, you know, back when I worked in an office setting, well, I'll walk this way to my car or I'll make sure and I arrive at this time so that I don't run into that person because that's just awkward and that's uncomfortable. And we plan, we have strategies, we come up with things on really subtle levels and on large levels. But God didn't say that uncomfortable, being uncomfortable was actually threatening. He didn't say that. God didn't say being uncomfortable was threatening. Fear is what defined the feeling of being uncomfortable. Fear defined it. So fear is planting seeds at all different levels of this process, right? And we just pick it up and we're like, yep, I'm going to run with that. And yep, I'll use my creative process to respond to fear's definition of what that feeling means. We can't let fear define the present when looking at how to partner with God for the future. We can't even look around at the world today and see just a bunch of problems and see how scary they could play out to be if we don't do something. You know, we can't let fear define what he may be working in that thing. He may be doing some, he may be, you know, like right now in the world today, there's a lot we could say, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something really fast. We got to do something, change, change the narrative, change all of these systems and school systems and everything. And there is a place for that, of course, but we can't allow what the fear of what could be of our imagination running with that or what the news says will happen. Or we can't let fear be our motive to partner with him in creative solutions because it won't be partnering with him. It will be partnering with fear. So we have to ask. We that's a subtle way that we. We just accept, well, fear says this. I feel like that's my target. I'm going to come up with ways to address that issue. But it was all started with fear. And so, again, we're still building fear's temple. A very subtle subtle way that we still partner with fear. Do you see, are you catching the drift that I think that we have been enslaved by fear, just like Egypt enslaved an entire generations of people, of the Israelites, an entire people group that as Christians as believers, as people, we've been enslaved by fear and indoctrinated. It's it's um, been filtered into so much of our processes, and we don't even realize it. But God is pulling back the veil, and we're we're we have a chance to see it and break our partnership with it, and give our momentum towards something that builds with Him. So, of course, another one, this one we're probably more familiar with, understanding others through fear versus understanding others through love. We can use our imagination, right? It's still just our imagination to discern what other people, why people say things to us. This is an unsanctified imagination disguised as perception or discernment. We operate in response to fear in ways we assume are normal and assume to have nothing to do with the operation of our imagination or the laws of sowing and reaping. What if the way we understand people's words and actions is just another aspect of our minds being trained to listen to fear and imagine with that spirit? What would our relationships look like if we used our God-given creative ability to imagine ways to bless others instead of using it for self-protection you know and we we talk about this one all the time we're like well 
again, I'm afraid that they may think badly of me. So I'm going to go do this action so that they will, I'll make sure they don't think badly of me. Right. Or I'm afraid of, of, um, that comment made that they're not happy with me right now. So I'm going to go and come up with a way to make sure that they know I love them. And so that we can be happy again, because I interpreted a comment from them to mean that they're not happy with me. But fear is again, where as we're um, seeing things through a creative lens of fear on so many levels. Now, again, remember, there are many different aspects of this. And I want to propose, like I said, that we have been enslaved and indoctrinated to fear and we have got to root it out. We've got to flush it out and identify it because we're, we're all doing it in various ways. So we have to operate with God's creative process with sanctified emotions. Our feelings have to be sanctified in line with him, not with fear. Our beliefs have to be in line with him, not fear. Our wisdom has to be driven by what he says, not what fear says. Our imagination has to be sanctified to be fully operational in his creative process. Of course, uh, we always have a choice of what to partner with. A sanctified mind or sanctified imagination doesn't mean we won't hear the other narrative, the other words, right? We have to choose wisely. What report will you believe? We have, we have a powerful, powerful, powerful resource that he gave us, this creative process to imagine it, to visualize it, to see it just like he did when he formed the earth, the galaxies, when he formed us. We have a powerful, powerful imagination, and we've got to be using it for his purposes and not just fears, purposes. The law of seed and harvest will forever be in effect. So what are we planting? What are we planting? We've been trusted with the responsibility of building the temple, bringing heaven to earth. He entrusted us with that responsibility. And as we said at the beginning, we must be resolute in building the temple and not being hijacked in our creative process to build other things. Okay, so hopefully everybody's gotten the idea, right? Yeah. God has this powerful creative process that involved imagining. The first step of creating is not what we speak, but what we imagine. What our, in our, and our imagination is actually way more than we thought. It's yeah. our inclination, our character. And, so, and then we've talked about the hijacked creative process, and I think we've... Um, flush that out a little bit and there's more to know there and to discover in, in each of us. And, uh, but, but how powerful is our creative process? How powerful is this, this design that he gave us that to create like he did? I mean, he created the entire universe, the galaxy, all of mankind, right? And we're made in his image. So just how powerful is it? I've, I've proposed that we've created the world we live in now by our imagination, right? So we, you could look around us in a, in a negative sense. There's a, a huge amount of support for how powerful our imagination is because we've built the state of the world that we live in now. We've act, and you've, you've seen it, I'm sure, in your own lives when you partner with fear, you partner with something, you keep putting money behind it, thoughts behind it, fuel behind it, and eventually you get to a point where you're like, that did not work out like I wanted that actually created a whole nother thing. Right. Yeah. 
So we've done this on a huge, huge scale. So if we've learned tonight that our, our creative process was for the purpose of building the temple, which is the same as bringing heaven to earth, of establishing his kingdom on earth, then how powerful is it? How powerful is our imagination really in this present day world? I want to propose, again, it's been limited. Our How powerful our imagination is has been uh, very restricted in our own assessment. We haven't gotten it, okay? We've only seen a small fracture, a small, tiny bit of it. Like I said, we mostly look at creativity and, you know, things like, you know, paintings and, and sculptures and different things like that. But... And I know I haven't read this book yet, but the book that you're all doing in small groups, I'm sure, will will um, stimulate lots of different ways to see creativity applied. But I, he gave me this message, this last part that I want to share with you, and I know it's meant to break off. There's some specific lies that we have been believing, and he's going to bust through it. I just declare that today. He's going to bust through it. And I, I would bet it's something that you're not even thinking about as being a problem, okay? But he's going to bust through some restrictive things that have, that have been intimidating to us in our walk with him and our use of, our, of walking in the authority that he, we often know he gave us authority, but we are intimidated. There's lots of things that hold us back, right? And so if the creative process was meant for building the temple, in this present day, and that's more than just our bodies even, how powerful is our imagination? So this all started for me with a a statement I heard. Someone was saying they were studying quantum physics, quantum science, which I didn't know that much about. You know, I have a little bit of a background in science, but a little bit, but it's been years since I was in college, you know. So anyways, um, the statement was made, once matter knows that it is observed, it responds. And it responds differently depending on who observes it. Now, I heard this and I just, you know, looked it up and tried to get just like the baby version of quantum science. You know, what is this even about? Quantum Science for Dummies, there is a book out there, apparently, and there is even a baby book. It's a hardback little board book that I I read it because I was like, help me, you know, I need to know. But it's literally, and it's awesome because in the end it says, now I'm a quantum scientist. It's a hardback little baby book. Wow, right? I mean, just think of what the next generation can do if we have all of this empowering perspective. So I heard that and I was like, what the heck, you know? So the premise, I looked it up and this is actually not that new. It was like in the early 1900s, they started doing experiments with quantum physics, quantum science. And one of the first things that they discovered apparently was that when they would conduct their experiments, if they watched the experiment, the results would turn out one way. And if they didn't watch the experiment, the results would turn out a different way. And so by watching it, This was unexplainable, okay? By watching it, it changed the outcome of the experiment. So it's it's known apparently as the observer effect. So 
I know that the Holy Spirit is basically breaking through something here, and I'm going to try to give a small breakdown, relay the concept behind quantum science to you. But this is not, you know, don't hold me to this particular explanation. I'm just trying to relay a concept, okay? So it comes down to matter. If you think back to at least when I was in high school, you know, they matter. You had your solids, your liquids, your gases. And the idea was basically that those would remain a solid, a liquid, or a gas unless some sort of source was applied to it. So if you heated up the water, it could turn to steam. You know, you could melt things, you could change them, but it was a solid, liquid, or gas. And just generally speaking, it was thought that if a solid, a solid would remain a solid unless something externally kind of acted on it. And then we've got, you know, the laws of gravity and we learned that there was you know there's mass and then there's there's gravitate there's different forces that act on mass and that can change what that mass is and one of the ways i think about it is with um, car accident reconstruction they can figure out the weight of the one car and the weight of the other car and how fast they were both going well they can actually predict what would happen in a crash but with this information because the concept is that that matter is pretty much constant. It's a permanent thing unless something externally acts on it. And I would propose that we kind of all have that perception of this permanence of, of objects, of what we look at. So I look at that wall and I think, yep, that's a wall. When I look at it again, it's still going to be a wall, right? Well. Quantum science, the, the breakdown, you've got your neutrons, your protons, and your electrons, you know, and so it was basically thought that any atom, which is the smallest measurement of matter, had a, a predetermined, a, a, a static set amount of energy associated with it. And if you collided those two atoms, they might be able to exchange energy and change, but otherwise it was a fixed sort of state, okay? Well, quantum science has determined that that's not actually true, that these atoms don't actually have a fixed state, okay? That, that the, when you, you used to look at the electrons that, that um, orbited, they, they thought it orbited basically around um, the protons and neutrons, and that's where the, the um, energy was stored. But what they've discovered is that those electrons are actually perpetually in motion not just in one orbit like this not it's not one thing orbiting like the sun or us you know earth is orbiting but it's actually constantly changing states it's changing energy levels it's changing all sorts of stuff as it as it orbits it's it's such a hard concept to get in your mind okay but the bottom line is is that what it's not as static or as permanent as we thought so the atoms that make up that wall, okay, because atoms are the smallest building block, basically, of any matter, they're actually perpetually changing, and they change based on who's looking at it and when it's looked at. Okay, that's the premise in quantum science. So depending on who looks at it, that's a wall, and when they look at it, it might be a wall or it might not. It's actually constantly changing. Okay, so they, this has been like since the early 1900s, okay? And let me just say here for anybody that gets in any fear about any kind of new age something or other, okay? 
all that new age stuff is just a hijacked version of, of what God made in the first place. None of this matters and will have any impact if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, it all, it all is empowered by Jesus. Okay, but we're just, what I'm talking about right now is the, some principles of the natural world. And I would say that we've had a restricted um, creativity, restricted imagination by the fact that we think that things are permanent that we see in the natural world. I don't expect that this floor is going to suddenly turn to water when I step on it. I never worry about that. When I get up here, I don't think this could be water today. I am pretty convinced this is going to be a floor until somebody hits it with a hammer or a saw, right? It's going to be, it's going to be this thing. And so I want to propose that that has been a hindrance for us in understanding the power of our creativity and the power of our authority in the natural world. Okay, so quantum science actually says that any particular matter, it doesn't have just one state, okay? It actually has multiple different states that are with different statistical probability at any given different, any different time. So really, for example, there's like this, this one atom, let's just say it could be a solid, it has a 75% chance of being a solid, but it's got a 10% chance of being a liquid, or it's got a, and, and that, all of that's possible within the same atom. It's not just one thing, it's multiple things. It's not just one thing, it's multiple things. Okay? Now, this is science in the natural world. This is not a supernatural explanation. This is science in the natural, physical world that we live in. And so it basically says that any given thing has, a, has different um, statistical probability, okay, of what it will be when we see it, when we encounter it. So with that concept in mind, I'm just going to read my, my thoughts here, okay? If matter actually exists in different forms with different levels of probability, of manifesting in the natural at any given moment, then what we are experiencing in life presently is not the only option. It's not as final or constant as we have thought. So that means I could come up here on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning and I could say, that floor may not always be a floor. This platform may not always be a platform. It's not actually as permanent as I've thought, okay? I'm just trying to use that as an illustration. And as I refer back to the very top sentence statement, Jesus walked on water. Will we and our humanity walk on water too? So what if Jesus knew, well, that is water right now, and they're seeing water, but I know it doesn't have to always be water. So I need to walk on it right now, and so I'm going to, this is not going to be water right now. Okay? Because it, it's not always water. It actually is just a, one of the aspects of its possible identity. Okay, so let's take this now. I said, for example, it's not as final or constant as we have thought, right? For example, let's apply this in a different area. If a disease is diagnosed, we have been taught to give the diagnosis such high authority that we think it is final and unchangeable. 
The intimidation from this is what we face every time we pray for physical healing. It can feel like we're up against a giant commanding a mountain to move. We tend to think that once a diagnosis is given, it has been confirmed as undeniably present and active and unchangeable. We tend to think the things we see and experience in the natural are permanent. They are like moving a mountain, mountain, right? We think that way. But in reality, quantum science has long ago proven that at an atomic level, atoms being the building blocks for all matter, including on a cellular level in our bodies, that there are multiple probabilities for how that particular atom or cell could exist in the natural. So what my body is experiencing right now it only that's only one of the options you get it it's only one of the options just because that's that thing in that moment doesn't mean it's always that thing that's just what I'm seeing right now again I'm just talking about the natural not the supernatural right now okay so let's see where to leave off here um, quantum science says that its state of being is essentially in constant motion without one definitive state. It says that a particular state of being would depend on many factors, including who is looking and at what time. It's not just one thing. It's actually something with the potential to be multiple things, each having different statistical probabilities of existing. So if we were to view a diagnosis or life's circumstances this way, we would realize that in the natural physical world, on earth, present day, there are other options. That physical body or that circumstance could look different. We would realize that it could look different even without what we've called supernatural intervention. We would realize that God actually made the natural world to operate this way. He made it to be changeable, to be responsive, to be changeable in the natural. We would realize that we aren't waiting for him to override the laws of nature to bring about a miracle but that he already made the natural world to respond and be changeable. We would realize that mountains can be moved just as it says in scripture. With what? Faith. Even if only the size of a mustard seed. But it changes what our faith is in, right? When we think that God has to override the laws of nature, to see change happen in our lives or in the world, that's a, that's a different mountain that we're moving. You know, that's, that feels like that's, that's the problem. We can't see it. We've got to, you know, believe it without seeing and all of that just engages all of that. It's an intimidating thing because we have this mindset that if I see it and I touch it and it's there, it's there. And that is undeniably present. That's undeniable that that's it. And it's always going to be that, but it's not true. What if God actually made the world? Think about it. We, he equipped us already to be in authority and to take dominion on this earth 
and to operate in our authority. So it's not like, let me throw you into this lion's den and see how you come out. You try, you and your, your physical ability try to overpower these big lions or you figure out how to move that giant mountain I made, even though I made it really strong and full of rock and it's way bigger than you. It's a solid. See if you can figure it out. No, if he, he set it up for our success to begin with. He said, I, I created the natural world to respond to you. The natural world is already predestined, pre-designed to respond to us. So what is it that we would have faith in exactly with this perspective? I propose that it's in God's authority. If our faith says that God created the natural world and he has supreme authority over it, then he has the authority to choose which state of matter that matter will exist in any given moment. I don't struggle with God's authority. I know he's in charge. I know he's supreme. I know that he is sovereign, that he's got this incredible power. I don't doubt that. So this brings everything into alignment that it's just a matter of, of, of the of the of what we're who's seeing it who's partnering with his authority is his authority being applied in any given circumstance quantum science says that in the natural matter has various statistically probable states of being so who has the authority to trump statistics he does he does but wait didn't he give us that authority didn't he tell us to rule and reign and take dominion over all the earth? Quantum science, science, okay, has uncovered just how possible it really is for us to do this. So what we see in the present natural world is not the only option. It is not permanent. It is not static or unmovable. Quantum science is trumping the lie that the natural world is more powerful than the spirit that lives in the sons and daughters of God. He set us up for success. He set us up to be able to speak to a mountain and move with the tiniest amount of faith. The, the, the most immature believer can move a mountain. So what are we doing with our authority? What are we doing with our creativity and our imagination? We've got a tremendous amount of faith. I just want to propose that there's just been this lie blocking this whole time, thinking that we're up against this big old thing that how do you move a planet? How do you move a mountain? It was made to be moved. It was made to be moved. It was made to be moved. Isn't that a good God? I mean, I feel like he's just up there in heaven watching us right now thinking like we've just unwrapped the biggest, sweetest present ever. Like he was like, man, they're going to get it. They're connecting the dots. They know they have authority. They know they, that they need to know my will. They know that I set it up to be responsive to them. It's not a, the natural world isn't an enemy. It's moldable. It's clay. It's not even an issue. He set it up from the beginning to respond to us. That includes our physical bodies. That includes our circumstances. That includes the way the world looks today. But we've got to partner our creative process, our God-given, godly creative process with it, and look what we can build. 
as I said at the beginning, we built all the stuff that we see now. We built it. All the stuff we don't like, we built it. So that speaks to the power that we actually have. It's not like some runaway evil thing has more powerful, more power than God. We've just been saying yes to it and partnering with it and lending our creative, powerful, powerful creative process to build it. And that means we can build something different instead. And so one final thought on this, who creates the statistics to begin with, right? About what that matter is going to be in any given state of any moment. It seems it depends on who's looking at it, right? It said it responds when someone looks at it and it responds differently depending on who looked at it. It seems those statistics would change depending on how many sons and daughters of God who know his heart and know his will were observing it. If it matters who's observing it, then if you, if you take an entire body of people who know God's heart, who know God's will, and, and know the power of their imagination, are just able to envision it and speak a word to agree with it, and we look at it, we would influence. We would influence how it presented in the natural world right now. Science is even supporting the idea that what we believe affects what we see, what we're thinking about, what we've imagined to be, what we've pictured in our mind. We see it as a picture in our mind. I propose that science is even supporting the idea that it can be on earth as it is in heaven. We can imagine what heaven's like. That's one of the reasons I love the, all of Kat Kerr's messages about what heaven looks like because my imagination is running wild with what she, what, I, what she shares. She shares a little tidbit and I'm like, well, if that's true, what if this is true? What if this is true? What is this true? Maybe this will look like this. Maybe we, and that's what we do. Then we do that here on earth. We see what it's like in heaven and we, we, we hear his heart. We know what it looks like. We picture it. We imagine it. And all we do is speak to it and say yes to that picture in my mind. Yes to that picture in my mind. And then we partner our actions with it. And we can see the world change through the power of a godly creative process. It's so much more than painting and sculptures and music and writing. It's way more than that. We have a creative process inside that is just dying to be released and be an operate in power. And I propose that is what is we are ready for in this kingdom age. And I propose this is a major unlocking for just that, that we can walk in new authority. And so I just say this whole year, I want us to pursue, and I'm, I'm eager myself to pursue walking this out, play, you know, seeing how it applies to me, how I need to break partnership with creating from fear and learn to, and how I can build the temple in me, I build the temple in you, build the temple in the community. We've got to refocus and be refined and sanctified. And so we can use this powerful, powerful creative process and so I hope you all will reread this word and re-listen and think about all the ways that it applies. Think about what a creativity lab could mean now compared to when you first heard it. Yeah. We do, you do experiments in labs where you watch some stuff happen. You put two things together and see what happens, you know? I mean, just let your mind go crazy with what it could be when we say creativ creativity labs.
So I, this has been an incredibly powerful um, experience for me, just receiving all this from him and pursuing it. And it, I can just telling you almost every time that I've looked at it, thought about it, tried to tried to talk to Tisa about it, just what a little bit I could do, it was the power behind it physically wore me out no matter how long I spent on it. 30 minutes and I was like, man, I need to take a nap. There is power in this. There is momentum and power in this. Serious, serious power in this word and this, and this changing of our minds, expanding our minds. But I've also been experiencing in the past couple of months another experience as a feeler, okay? Another experience of what's in the atmosphere, what's going on in the world right now. And I've also been processing that. And so I, we felt like it was important for me to share this word that Papa gave me just the other day to speak to that, okay? Papa says, I am doing something new. Doesn't this feel new? This feels new to me. It feels new. I am doing something new. I am flipping things completely upside down. I am turning the world as it has been known upside down. It's in progress and it's happening. People can feel it and they are starting to see it. I've told my prophet, prophet's the end result, and they've released the word. The picture is grand and victorious and filled with my glory. But my people are fearing the gap between then and now. They are fearing the chasm that they see between what is and what will be. How could it happen? How could this machine that's gained so much momentum of fear ever be stopped? How could someone like me make a difference, even one drop? It seems too much for their eyes of faith. It's stretching their limits on what they've known as faith. Can God really be that good? Can God really move heaven and earth? Can he really split the sea for little old me? These are the scents filling the air. These are the fears and doubts being released into the atmosphere Atmosphere in response to what I'm currently doing. My child, my child, I sense your reluctance to believe. My child, my child, I sense your fear and the rising doubt as this ride is preparing to play out. I sense the release of torments and schemes of the enemies. The toxins are being released. The toxins are being released. The toxins held in my children's beliefs are being flushed out. The heat causes them to rise from the bread of their lives. They've held onto my son, calling him the bread of life, but the yeast inside is leavening. It transforms and misshapes the source of their so-called faith. I am preparing the body for a brand new faith. I am refining the seat of their faith. I am stirring in the hearts and minds of man. You can be sure it is kicking up a lot of sand. Sand and debris are blowing across this land, but rest assured, I am behind this fierce and mighty wind. I am steadfast and determined, and I will be victorious. Hold fast to the seed of truth I've planted in you. Nurture it, protect it, and watch 
all that will burst forth from it. This is the seed. There's lots of seeds of truth, but I want to propose that this is a word specifically to this word of the year. Okay. This is a seed of truth that he's now planted in us. He wants us to nurture it, protect it, and watch all that will grow from it. Don't be surprised. He's given us a heads up. Okay. There are people are freaking out all over the world. Okay. And he's saying, like, if you've ever had a massage, it feels great, but it releases toxins. And if you don't have a good lot of water flowing, you'll feel yucky. Okay. It's releasing something out of people's beliefs, out of their faith. But that means it's up in the atmosphere. And this is a word that we don't want that not only we will steward and apply personally, but I want to propose that there's going to be other people coming. And there's other people that aren't even in this tribe that are experiencing this, that are that we need to be aware of what's happening. So if you sense fear rising up, if you have other of these belief toxins and doubts and you feel intimidation, just know those are just being released out of the seat of people's faith, out of our own faith. So don't let intimidation say, well, how you don't know, even know how to do that. You know, this one from one of the ones for me, I just want to get it out there and say it is that, well, this is a great, this is great, but you don't know how to apply it. We will learn. We will learn how to apply it. Okay. We nurture the seed of truth and we protect it and we watch it and we practice it. We take steps and we, we nurture that we will see what grows from it. So be forewarned about what may be coming up into the atmosphere, especially from your, for your feelers. Okay. Cause there's some stuff coming out with the release of what he's doing, but we've heard the intention and we've been given this incredible taste of what the future is bringing, what this kingdom age is all about and what he's called us to do. Okay. So let's nurture it, protect it and watch all that will burst forth from it. So I'm going to pray over us real quick and then invite Tisa to come back up and, and take us to the next step. So, Papa, I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your words. I thank you that so many years ago that you scribed these words to us in your word. Your word is amazing. Your word is so amazing. I thank you that you are unlocking even more meaning in it now. And you will always unlock it in ways that you are ready for us to apply. So I just say over this word that we hear it, we honor it, we believe it is a now word, it is active and alive and intended for this point in time in our lives. It is not for another person, it's not for another day, it's for us right now. It's for us personally, it's for this tribe, it's for this community, it's for the the body of Christ right now in this season. And so we hear your yes on this. We hear your very loud yes. We feel your yes on this. And we say amen, 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 amen. Thank you for refining the creative process in us. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are are a loving and merciful and generous and tender-hearted God who wants to walk us through every stage of this refinement process and walk us into every stage of the walking in power with this message and the creative process that you've planted in us and designed us with. So we just celebrate you. We say yes, yes, and amen. And we will every day ask the question, what does it mean to be a temple for the king? In Jesus' name, amen.
I think it's really important to remember that we don't know how to do this. Y'all don't know how. I know how. Think about all of you and what I observed in you. That's just what it looks like. Speaking over you until you became what he wants you to be. That's what he's called us to do. And, you know, I know I have the joy of watching y'all all transform. And, you know, we all do it at different levels. But it really does come down to, you know, he was talking to me when she was saying that part about the mountain. He said that the mountain that needs moving is in your mind. That's what he's trying to do today. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to, if you will, you know, let me give you a couple practical t- tips is that you've got to set up your life to where no one lets you speak different than what you want to speak. You know, I often say to my girls, you know, watch what you're saying because you're prophesying. And, you know, we all can, you know, when things are not good, we can be gripey. You know, we can just speak about it. Um in a way, speak about our lives in a way that perpetuates us staying in the place where we're at. I know so many of y'all, I hear you just talking to each other and you're just, you're, we're all still just trying to be somebody. We're all just, you know, that's why I started out with that word saying, if you do anything for God from a place of trying to be somebody, you will not be successful. And I hear that in your language and and so what I would do is I would set up my life to where if anyone in my life hears me talking different than what doesn't line up with this word then I would tell them they could tell me but I don't know if you are that bold you know you don't have to ask me that I just do it anyway but the rest of y'all you know if you hear somebody talking different You're just prophesying. And I just challenge us that we could be in a different place in 30 days if we would all choose to take this word and ingest it in a new way. But before we leave today, Tessa had sent me this word a while back, and I, I knew it was for today. I didn't tell her, but... Um... You know, I just I want to honor her today, Tessa. I want to honor you that, um, you know, from the very first time I met you, um, I knew there would be a day where you would shine. And I knew that you were in a dark place when I met you, and you didn't even really know it. And I saw you as this lighthouse of light that it just it was just on and it you know I don't know if you know much about lighthouses but they just circle there's not they're not pointed at a thing and it's people are drawn when they're out in the waves of life tossed and turned they look up and they look for a light they look for a lighthouse and you know, you are, this is your season. 
your God is is has revealed to me um, just to be steady for you to be steady and unmovable where you are he's training you he's training you in the job you're in working with us he's training you and I know you don't even need to work but he says that it's invaluable to being the lighthouse and that um, I just I just want you to hear this word you wrote with new eyes today okay she wrote enjoyment requires movement in my ways plans and seasons there is great joy the things desired the things felt cannot be substantiated in form of words or noise there must be movement in this season in this year be sure you aren't noisy aren't being noisy without truly knowing where I'm going to me it's all about my movements which have been carefully planned and purposed by me it's important that you don't show more than you know it's important that the internal knower is what calculates movements performance is the highway of dissatisfaction and disagreement this is what I mean by show more than you know you see my people have wrong definitions of the very concept of movement there's a spiritual movement I am longing for them to see and it starts with the seed it is the season of the knower as the apostolic school comes to close you'll find the ordering of your steps are more clear and that the knower is metaphorically sealing the deal bathe in the apostolic waters the rivers whose leadership brings clarity and a wellspring of tools for the taking they are weapons for the making the creating of something entirely new a new point of view of the Godhead this movement is pure enjoyment the satisfaction of the soul that comes into true alignment so I just wanted to pray over that, that that word over us today. It feels like it just seals the seed of what's been said today. And just remember that this is just an, I'm sure a lot of y'all got all kinds of activation going on, but, you know, just make sure today that you don't find any comparison or feelings of lacking or feelings of not knowing. I know how to help you and we as a leadership are are investing in changes and uh, activities that are on his heart and so I just believe that this is going to be an incredible year for us but I believe that a lot of y'all is going to require a lot of things to adjust and so you know it's really a good time to really be mentored you know cc's really really deep tessa is too and i mean i'm deep but i they're deeper than me they they go 
they go to a really deep place. And so sometimes I think when we hear such a quantity of words, it can feel daunting. But for the Holy Spirit, it's not because it all came from the heart of the Father. And so they're just seeing what the Father wants to do and they're just expressing it. And I can promise you it's not as hard to do what the Word is saying as you might think. If you would actually invest time in removing fears and lies, as we've talked about a lot, the partnership with God is the easy part. And, you know, just just before you leave, let's just ask, let's just do this one exercise. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit, what is a specific thought or thing you can partner right now with Him to begin to work on seeing differently to cause your heart to expand with this Word? I think He's really good about showing you the next step. Sometimes we can look at it like a great big old word and we don't know what the next step is. But for some of you, it's just, like I said, partnering with someone. For some of you, it's just maybe getting rid of a specific belief system. Or some of you have already done that and now you're ready to build something amazing because you know who you are and you know where you're going and you know what you're supposed to do. And so we're all at different places in the room. But, Papa, I just release your truth over us today. This is such an incredible, deep, life-altering forever word. And I, I want to bless your prophet, C.C. Mendel, for the time spent and 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 the warring that she's done that we've done over what you've given us and i thank you that your timing is perfect that today was the day and i just want to bless even her physical man for the endurance it took to release this today and i want to bless and speak abundance of joy she had a dream the other night where she woke up laughing because it was raining white puppies so I just I just thank you that come here and let me just pray for you. <clears throat> Papa, I just release your I just release your abundance. Don't hold on to me because you'll pull us both down. I just I just release your abundance over her right now. Just a wellspring of joy. May this be a season of a wellspring of joy bubbling up within her. And today I just release your power, your fire of the Spirit to come upon her right now. Papa, I know that the cry of her heart is just to do these words. And so I just pray that the Spirit of ease would come upon her just that she would just see it and she would just say it and she would just do it you know the cry of her heart today i just bless her i just bless her Papa, i bless her in every way everything she sets her hands to do i just bless her rest Papa, i just speak to her neck and I just speak healing over all those things that have been tormenting her physically I just speak healing complete divine healing I'm observing it and it's healed 
Let's all stand. Just before you go out today, why don't you tell somebody what the Holy Spirit showed you that you need to work on or that you need to change or you need to build or just to get it out in the atmosphere. Let's just spend a few minutes loving on each other and just thanking the Holy Spirit for what He's doing in our tribe right now. And Papa, just bless bless the seed of this word it's just in seed form remember you've got to protect it so we just bless the seed in our lives today let's just go around and bless each other right now thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK for more information please visit us at onelifeok.com